This is the Feminine Podcast, the official podcast of Feminine, discussing all things femme, a little bit of EM, and everything in between. I'm Jenny Beck Esme, editor in chief of Feminine. Before we get to our content here, we have a really important announcement. The Gender Equity in Medicine Research Foundation supports gender equity and research projects through grants, and we are raising money so we can do that. Several upcoming fantastic medical conferences have generously donated tickets to the foundation. How does this help the foundation? Well, we're selling the tickets through a silent auction and all the proceeds go directly to the foundation. So if you were thinking of attending any of these, the American College of Toxicology Annual Scientific Assembly, Castlefest, that great ultrasound conference, CORD for all you educators next month in New York City and you don't have your ticket yet, get your ticket to CORD. And of course, Essentials of Emergency Medicine, they donated a ticket last year, or Rebellion EM down in Texas next spring. Any of those, you can get your ticket through the Research Foundation auctions, attend the conference, and support the foundation all in one. So head over to feminem.org, click on the Research tab for all of the details. Auctions are going to close soon, so don't wait. Get your ticket now. On to our fixed content. Our next fixed talk is a duo talk from Dr. Aisha Khan and Dr. John Purikal. Dr. Aisha Khan is Fellowship Director of Social Emergency Medicine and Population Health at Stanford University. She's the co-host of Announce, an ASEP-sponsored podcast on social emergency medicine topics relevant to today's emergency physicians. And Dr. John Purikal is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Duke, interested in social emergency medicine, health disparities, and he's the creator of socialimpact.com. Together, these two take on the misculture of miscarriage in their fantastic duo, Fix 19 Talk. Enjoy. When the Soviet Union was formed in 1922, all manufacturing and production was moved over to the state. An exclusively male camaraderie was now in charge of underwear production. One size and one color of bra flooded the marketplace. And despite some wives whispering to their husbands, we're not all the same size, it wasn't until 1954 when the first female was appointed Minister of Culture that the cause of differential breast sizing was actually taken up. And although the struggles of Soviet-era breast size and bra size may seem a thing of the distant past, the challenges of a world that accommodates a diversity of voices at the table is still very real today. You may have noticed that the title of our talk contains the word miscarriage. But this talk is less about having babies, wanting babies, or not wanting babies. It's about breaking the taboo around things we need to talk about. It's about breaking the taboo around changes in our system. It's about creating an environment that accommodates a diverse workforce without asking any of us to make an unknown and unreasonable sacrifice. Because the truth is, currently, when you choose to be a physician, you decrease your chances of becoming a biological mother. And if we all agree that having women in the physician workforce is important, this isn't a decision that anyone should have to make without the knowledge and information it takes to decrease their risk. Because here's the truth. If I had had the knowledge, and I had had the information, I would have made a different choice. That's my nephew. Around 10 years ago, I walked into a patient room, I introduced myself, and I had the patient say to me, you look worse than I feel. 
I think I'll just leave. I know, that's sad. <laughs> I'm sure I looked awful. I just had a miscarriage. I'd started bleeding a few hours prior. I actually didn't know what to do. I tried to find coverage, but I didn't know who to call, where to go, what to say. I finally ended up going to my office and laying down on the floor. A little while later, I got up and I saw my next patient. I went home, I came back the next day to work my next shift. I didn't tell anybody that I'd had a miscarriage. I didn't know how to. I didn't know the facts surrounding infertility, miscarriage, and medicine. And the facts are this. Our chances of infertility are one in four compared to one in eight in the general population. We learned this last year at Melissa Parsons' Incredible Talk. Our chances of miscarriage are one in two compared to one in four in the general population. We need to talk about this. Why do we need to talk about this? Because so many of the risk factors are modifiable. Night shifts increase your chances of miscarriage in a dose-dependent fashion, with two or more per week being the significant number. It would be easy to instate a payback system for nights after the pregnancy is finished or other undesirable shifts. Shift work is also a risk factor. We could decrease the amount of shifts shift swings to mitigate this risk. Being on your feet for more than six hours is a risk factor that increases your chances of miscarriage. How easy is it to put some extra chairs into patient care areas so that a woman might sit down while she's doing her history and physical? Teratogens around the emergency department are a risk factor. The way that we structure residency and maternity leave is a risk factor. Right now, Residency provides a service to the hospital and training for the resident. When a resident goes on maternity leave, she has to rely on her already overburdened friends to substitute in for her. Think of the guilt and stress that that adds. Couldn't we substitute mid-level providers instead? Lack of knowledge of these risks is in fact a risk factor. We need to tell women this before they choose to go into medicine, before they enter into the match. We need to break the taboo surrounding this issue by talking about it. Knowing the risk is only one aspect of this cultural revision. Sharing your unique experiences has the power to inspire, connect, and support others in ways unbeknownst to you even. I'll give you an example. A visiting couple is having a dinner with two Stanford faculty members in Palo Alto. While discussing what brought the two colleagues to work in the area, one of them very casually recants her story um, of miscarriage and how that was a life-altering experience for her that started her journey across the country to California. The couple sits in silence, listening, but stunned uh, how this person can talk about such an intimate detail of their life with two new acquaintances. What our storyteller didn't know was that this couple was going through their own struggles with miscarriage at that time. She couldn't have known that that conversation was going to be the inception for this talk. You see, the person sharing her experience in the story was Aisha, and the couple in the story was my wife Alex and I. So Alex and I got married, um, went through the rigors of medical school and residency, much like many people in this room, with an unwavering certainty that during that time, we couldn't keep a plant alive, much less a child. So we just kept our head down, tried to focus on getting through it because there would always be time for kids later. 
Then, a few years later, uh, when we stopped not trying, it happened. But much like many people in this room have experienced, that happiness was short-lived. Because over the next several months, we experienced our first, second, and third losses. And it was devastating. The cycle of getting excited, meeting her during her lunch breaks to go to ultrasounds, inevitable heartbreak, and going back to work the next day and not talking about it was on repeat. Much like many people in this room have probably experienced, neither of us took a day off work with either of those or any of those first three losses. After the, all of the extensive testing was finished and couldn't find an identifiable cause, the two of us were left defeated and without answers. Now Alex, being the pragmatic one of the two of us, researched everything there was to know about the risks and wanted to share our struggle with other people. I, on the other hand, felt nothing but debilitating vulnerability. I pleaded with her not to tell a single person. Out of some sense of shame or the pity that would inevitably be displayed towards us. I just thought no one talks about this stuff. No one, I've never heard anyone talk about this. Why should we be the ones to do it? I was the status quo. As the weeks turned into months, I noticed myself avoiding my interactions with my pregnant patients. I had no idea how the G's and P's affected the significant other, let alone a provider who would be triggered by taking care of somebody who's, had, who's having a miscarriage or miscarriage-related issues. I couldn't stand the idea of facing and sharing in someone's miscarriage as I was actively repressing my own. Or even worse, to pretend to be happy for a patient whose miscarriage scare was just that. All the while, I'm thinking to myself, why is it so easy for everybody else even though pregnancy-related issues only make up about 1% of ED visits, it felt like it was the only thing I was seeing. After hearing Aisha's experience and reflecting on how I had failed by propagating archaic ideas, I realized what had been obvious to Alex all along. It is the stigma that our culture places on miscarriage that needs to be silenced, not us. As I slowly started telling people about my experience and opening up with others, I realized I was not alone in this. In fact, there were many others. It was almost as if the first rule of this club was that you don't talk about this club. I recognize that everybody has their own grieving process, and it might take you a very long time to be able to share your story if you have one. But just know that if you do have a story, when you're ready, that story may be just what somebody else needs to hear. I know that our conversation helped me to move forward, helped me to empathize with my patients and my friends who are going through similar situations, and it also made me more cognizant of the misculture surrounding miscarriage. Moving forward, we're gonna have to open up lines of communication with leadership, colleagues, trainees, and as well as knowing all the risks that Aisha talked about, if we want to inspire any sort of change. In an anonymous survey we sent out earlier this year through multiple listservs, including FIX, as well as social media, we found that 51% of the 276 respondents had had at least one miscarriage. Of that group, 36% had said they had a negative work-related experience regarding their loss. But 0% cited a system in place 
that was specific to pregnancy loss when it came uh, time to talk about shift coverage, time off, or support resources. This is where you all come in. Whether you've had a loss or not, the numbers suggest you know somebody who has, a colleague or a trainee. By knowing the risk, knowing the numbers, as well as advocating for yourself and for others, we can make sure that there are systems in place for those who need it most when they need it most. As physicians, it can be difficult to give ourselves the allowance to believe that we can be more than our work. Actualizing our identities, whether it's as parents or anything else we wish to be, shouldn't be an uphill battle. The fix to this is really easy. As with Soviet-era bra sizes, we can accommodate a myriad of sizes, shapes, and potentials. And all it takes is the realization that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. We need, and this realization starts with acknowledging the risks that are associated with having a baby and knowing that it is difficult for us to conceive as women in the field of medicine. This isn't a matter of shame. It shouldn't be a taboo. It's only when we all start to talk about our experiences that we can start to see a pattern emerge, that we can see a problem signal that needs solving. As emergency physicians, we pride ourselves on our ability to adapt and think outside the box. As Banksy says, we need to think outside the box, collapse the box, and take a fucking sharp knife to it. Add your voices to this discourse, because any system that benefits from taboo and silence over our choices as women cannot hope to achieve or sustain gender equity. As John said, silence the stigma. Thank you.